0: it is so good to be with you today and have the chance to share from the bible my name is josh uh, and i am uh, i've been on staff here about six ish years and during that time i've worn a few different hats but one of the hats that i wear now is i am the downtown location pastor and so once we regather if you ever can't make it on a weekend or can't watch online Join us Tuesday nights for a midweek service. Well, I uh, have been in Rapid City for about the same amount of time, six years, but I'm not actually from here, not even from this country. Uh, I'm actually Canadian, and so if at some point uh, during this sermon, if my Canadian accent slips out, (laughs) out, uh, just chuckle and move on with me and show me some grace, uh, well, about Three years ago, I married an amazing girl named Christy. And then last year, she and I bought a house on Mount Rushmore Road where we live with our dog and two cats and have a a great time in our our little home. Well, to why we're actually here not to talk about me, we're here to talk about parables. Uh, Now, uh, maybe for you, parables are a new thing. You've heard the term but aren't quite sure what they are. Parables are they're like a metaphor or an allegory. They tell stories, but they're also unique. Uh, parables, what they do is they tend to really confront the reader or the listener with deep truth. Uh, NT. Wright says this: Jesus didn't tell parables to provide friendly little illustrations of abstract theology. He told parables because what he was doing was so different, so explosive, and so dangerous, the only way he could talk about it was to use stories. Parables are the primary way that Jesus taught. This idea of parables having the, a confronting idea or multiple meanings is kind of where we get this idea for our sermon series subtitle, The invisible words of Jesus. It's this idea that there's a surface meaning, but there's also a deeper meaning that he wants to get at and get into you. Well, that brings us to today's parable, and I actually cheated, and I have two parables for you, but they're really short, uh, and they're really connected. Actually, in the NIV, they're only 66 words. Uh, Let's take a look at them now. In Matthew 13:44 to 46 he says The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which someone found and then hid then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field Again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls on finding one pearl of great value he went and sold all that he had And bought it. Well, one term that is in both of these parables, and actually is in all the parables that that surround these, there's a whole section of parables, is the kingdom of heaven. In other books, other authors use the word kingdom of God, and they're very similar, have close meanings. That might be a new set of terms for you or a different set. If that's new, that's totally okay. You're not alone. Uh, A very prominent New Testament scholar, Dr. I. Howard Marshall, says this. During the past 16 years, I can recollect only two occasions on which I've heard sermons specifically devoted to the theme of the kingdom of God. I find this silence rather surprising because it's universally agreed By New Testament scholars, that the central theme of the teaching of Jesus was the kingdom of God. More than he talked about salvation or sin or money or anything else, his primary focus is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Well, it's simple, but it's complex. It's easy, but it's difficult. That's why he uses stories and metaphors to talk about it, why he uses parables. He says it's like, uh, it's like uh, a mustard seed. It's like seeds scattered on soil. It's like a pearl. It's like treasure. Kingdoms for us today are more abstract usually or fictional or not a term we use a lot except for maybe in books or movies. Uh, but we kind of get what kingdoms are. Uh, If I could boil it down to a very simple statement, I say the kingdom of God is a kingdom or a reality where Jesus is king and the people in that kingdom submit to his rule. Now, the idea of submitting to rule is kind of hard for us today. See, we live in countries and a country where the person whose ruling changes every four or eight years, usually, and we may or may not want to submit to who is in charge. Submission can be hard for us, especially if we disagree. We want control, and in fact, we've always wanted control. From the beginning, of time if you go back to the start of the bible the very first characters there adam and eve you've probably heard the story Uh, they seek control they want to do things their way they want to be equal with god and so they eat the fruit well very quickly afterward story after story in the bible from abraham to all his descendants to moses the entire israelite people whose story is the entire old testament from king after king after israelite king they seek control and they do a terrible job with it once they have it these israelites they spent time being controlled in uh, in egypt as they were enslaved there they were exiled to babylon and kingdoms occupied them. The Assyrians took them over. The Persians, the Greeks, and finally the Romans. All of these kingdoms have taken control of these people. And they're looking for a king, a leader that they can trust. Uh, again, N.T. Wright says this Jesus is not for the evangelists simply the antitype of the various types such as Moses or King David or the Passover lamb, he is the point at which the millennia-long narrative has reached its goal. In Jesus, not only the story of Israel, but the story of all creation is reaching its decisive goal. That is a king that we can trust, a king whose control we can submit to. We're invited to this. This is the invitation Jesus offers us. But despite that, we can still be cautious because we've all experienced control that hasn't been in our best interest. And I think that's what these parables are partially getting at. He's saying, the kingdom of God is like a treasure that is worth every. and you come to it with great joy. It's like a pearl that with joy you sell everything you have and you buy that pearl. When you encounter Jesus, he changes the way you see the world, what you consider to be valuable, and he offers us a life of infinite value. I'm not sure if any of you out there are deal hunters. Uh, I love to find a good deal. Uh, I used to be into eBay, Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist. Uh, We have a thing in Canada called Kijiji. Don't know why it's called that, but just like the classic Canada move to be a little bit different. Couldn't use Craigslist. Uh, But no matter what, I love buying and selling things on vacations. I can drive the people that I'm with a little bit crazy, uh, my wife especially, because I can't just choose one hotel. I have to look at every single website, Expedia, Priceline, Hotwire, whatever, compare all the amenities because I want the best experience. I can't just pick one. I want the best deal. I'm not sure if any of you remember about 10 years ago there was this TV show called Storage Wars, Uh, I was really into it for a while. Uh, I binge watched a little bit. That was like back before we had Netflix and stuff. You had to watch on TV. Like I DVR them. And I watched storage wars over and over again. Uh, But the premise of this show was that these storage units would go up for auction. Actually, when when this show opens, the narrator gets on. And he's like, when storage units are abandoned, the treasures inside go up for auction. And the whole thing is just really dramatized. There's these like five or six regular people that are always in the show, and the whole thing is just drama. But I love seeing the treasures they find. But the catch to the show is this. What happens when they open the garage door to the storage unit, the watchers can't go inside. They can only peer from the outside and look in and see what's in there. But once in a while you'll see one of the characters get a glint in their eye or a hunch, or they see maybe at the back corner that that item could be really valuable. And so they kind of count their money and say, how much do I have left? What did I bring today? And when I find the unit that they want, they take all that cash, and they say, this is my unit. I am going all in on this one. And they go all in. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like When you find a good deal, when you find true value, you're excited. It's with great joy. And Jesus is promising us, he's saying, it's going to be worth it. Learn to see things my way, the way that I value things. Uh, Dallas Willard says this, The counting of the cost is to bring us to the point of clarity and decisiveness. It is to help us see. Counting the cost is precisely what the man with the pearl and the hidden treasure did. Out of it came their decisiveness and joy. It is decisiveness and joy that are the outcomes of the counting. I believe that what Jesus offers us is a new way to see life a new way to see value and when we enter that kingdom it is so worth it one of the authors of the new testament his name's paul and he wrote a good chunk of it in his letter to the church in a place called philippi he said this and more and more so I realized that all I gained and thought was important was nothing but yesterday's garbage compared to knowing the anointed Jesus, my Lord. For him, I have thrown everything aside. It's nothing but a pile of waste that I may gain him. We've seen kingdoms, we've seen countries and economies and i ask you are we truly satisfied is this the ideal when you when you try and picture what god wants the world to be like is this what you picture i don't think so at least i don't what jesus is offering is totally different and beyond comparison But like these parables say, it's going to take everything. And are you willing to sell everything? That's hard sometimes. I remember back in 2004, I was in in Bible college and there was a guest speaker on campus. And there were some special services each night we were going to. And he was sharing a talk much like this one, asking if we really wanted uh, what Jesus is offering us. And I remember sitting in my seat that night and really asking myself and being honest, saying, I don't know that I want that right now. I don't know if that's where I'm at. After service, I kind of waited at the back for a chance to maybe talk to him As the crowd filtered out, I walked up to him and began to ask him some questions. And he was very gracious to me. And I said, I I don't know if I want that life, if I really want Jesus or his kingdom. And as we talked, I came to the point where I could say, I don't know if I want it, but I at least want to want Jesus. And in in wanting to want, I was putting myself on a trajectory where I was heading in a direction to go towards Jesus and go towards his kingdom. About 10 years ago, I was uh, introduced to a short kind of documentary special on YouTube. It was a clip from a 60 Minutes episode. uh, And it was about a guy named Alex Honnold. Now, Alex Honnold, he is basically the world's best free solo climber. If you're not sure what that is, a free solo climber mountain climbs without ropes or a harness. I hate getting on a ladder. I don't like tall buildings. You could maybe get me on a climbing wall with enough ropes and enough harnesses, but I can't imagine being a thousand feet in the air with nothing below me. This guy, <laughs> if you actually, if you're on like your computer or your phone, just open a new tab and go to YouTube and search alone on the wall. And then later, watch, it's like 10 minutes. It's so worth your time. It'll blow your mind. This guy, Alex Honnold, is insane. In this clip, he's about to climb the north face of Sentinel in Yosemite National Park with no ropes, nothing. He's getting on the mountain, and down in the valley with the 60 Minutes host, there's a veteran climber named John Long. And John Long, he's a pretty intense kind of guy. But He's watching Alex get on the, on the side of the mountain. He, Alex is beginning to climb. He's getting higher and higher, and he gets to this one point, And what happens is John turns to the host, and he says, this right here, once he gets into this, this crack, this is where it becomes world class. At this point, there's no going back. And she says to him, no going back. I don't like the sound of that. And in his intense way, he says, yeah, no going back. You can't go back down. It's too difficult. The only way off is up. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. It's setting yourself on a trajectory where the only way off is up. The call of Jesus is to set yourself on a trajectory of surrender. You don't need to be perfect from now until the day you die, but it's about heading in a direction where God's making you more and more like him. Now, maybe today you feel like you're at 100% bought in. Maybe you're 80% bought in. There are days where I feel like I'm 100%. And then God says to me, Josh, what about this in your life? What about this thing going on? Are you really bought in? Maybe today you're at like 1% or 5%. But I believe that if you ask Jesus, if you keep on that trajectory, keep taking steps forward and say, help me go from 1% to 3%, from 50% to 60%, from 80 to 81%, I believe God's going to, I'll use the word refine you, like make you more like him as you continue this journey. Um, Know there are times in life where I have doubts. Um, I've had dark seasons in my life where I've said, is this the life that I really want? Is this the trajectory I want to be on? It's hard sometimes I forget the joy sometimes. But you know, I part of the, my, the faith that I have, I hold a faith that at the end of my life, I'm not gonna get to the end and look back and look at this life and regret the trajectory that I chose. That's what I can offer you today, that I believe that that it will be worth it, that the life that Jesus offers you, um, it's worth selling uh, everything. The whole story of the Bible from beginning to end is about control and surrender. People trying to be in charge and God saying, please, can we try it my way? So often in life, there are things that come in and distract us. They take us away from what God has for us. Uh, We can have dreams and desires, but our own dreams and desires aren't necessarily what Christianity is offering us. He's offering us a life of extreme value that I believe is worth it, but it's going to take everything You might have dreams for your kids. You might have dreams for yourself. You might have dreams for your profession. But it's bigger than any of those dreams, any of our dreams, bigger than the American dream or the Canadian dream. (laughs) I believe that there's a dream that God has for us that is greater. Recently, as I was preparing this this sermon, uh, I felt God speaking to me and asking me, uh, Josh, what about this area of your life? What about your addiction to production, to always having to be busy? I love side hustles. I love learning new things. I love finding other ways to make money or have fun. I've always got something brewing other iron in the fire. And those aren't bad things. But if I'm putting my trust in them, if they're controlling me, And God says, if I asked you to, would you give those up? Would you open your hand up to me with those things? I don't know what it is for you today. Maybe what thing you're holding on to. Maybe it's money or maybe it's a place you don't want to be. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's your kid's future. It could be a lot of things that are controlling your life. Bonhoeffer said, "When Christ calls a man. He bids him come and die. That's a really hard call. It's hard for me. But despite the difficulty, I want to keep going forward. I want to stay on my trajectory of becoming more and more surrendered and giving more and more control of my life to God so I ask you who's in control of your life today as we go this week I've got a couple of questions for us to think on and to pray on and they're this God will you help me to see the things to see things the way that you value them And God, will you show me the ways that I'm trying to be in control? I think these are two great questions for us uh, as we try and put God in control and say, Jesus, I want you to be king, and I want to be in your kingdom, a kingdom where you're in charge, and I can trust it with great joy. Let's pray together. God, I thank you um, for these parables that you give us, that we can trust you. Uh, Help us to see things the way you do. Help us to see your kingdom in a way that it becomes so appealing that with joy we run after it. That we want what you have for us. Help us to move closer to you to be more and more bought in, moving towards surrender. We need you to do this. We can't do it on our own. Uh, We love you and we thank you for being with us and walking with us through this. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.